everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 191, Games, Spring of 2021. Back by popular demand, it's an all-games episode of Literary Disco. We will judge a book by its cover. Todd will pretend song lyrics are poems or rocks or scissors or <laughs> oh, something. Yeah. And we will do a bookshelf roulette. This is All the Literary favorites. Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. I have something to reveal to both of you. Oh my okay. gosh. Very exciting. Did you guys know we just had a birthday? We did? We did. You How mean Literary Disco had a birthday? Literary Disco debuted nine years ago this week. Are you serious? That's I am serious. <laughs> nine yes. years ago this what week. What have we been doing? <laughs> Reading. Reading <laughs> and talking about it. Oh Reading and talking about it for Whoa. nine years. Years. Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy enough for me to just realize we're like in the 191 that we're like nine episodes away from 200 episodes. And I, I remember know. thinking like if we made 100, that would be such a big thing. And now it's like, gosh, if we don't make a thousand, what have we been doing? <laughs> we don't make it. Oh my god! Gonna... One we of us will have to die. Slow years, but we've reaccelerated. Yeah, yeah, I gotta tell you though, nine years for a podcast, we're basically like the boyhood of podcasts. <laughs> Right at this point, well, you know the thing. It's it's it, it's interesting because we we are so inconsistent with our release <laughs> schedule. Because I think a, most podcasts do a weekly release, and you know that in that case, nine years would be crazy, crazy talk. But we've gone like months. That's what I well, love when when we did our live episode, and people would come on and say like. Oh, you guys, every, I get so happy every couple of weeks or month or week, whenever you guys release, it makes me feel good. <laughs> right. Right. Well, well you know what a lot nice. of podcasts do now is seasons and that's right. smart. Um, yeah. And but we wait. would be smart to do that just because, I mean, I, you know, the, the basic reason we've never been able to do a weekly release is it requires so much reading. Yeah. Right. It's just tough. On top of all the reading we do outside of this, especially you, Todd, I mean, you're constantly reviewing stuff and having to yep. read on top of having to read and, here. And the writing that we all have to do on top yeah. of everything. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, no, it's it's a lot. You know what? I will say I harbor no guilt about our schedule. We're no. true to ourselves. And guess what? Tortoise in the hair, bitches. We're That's still right. here. Nine goddamn years. We have outlasted Obama. And Trump, <laughs> so there's that. You guys both got married and had children yeah. during the course of our time on the show, which is crazy. I remember editing episodes of this show while driving to my wedding. That's so <laughs> that's so funny to think about. We yeah. ac- we acquired a corporate overlord in uh, the fine people at Lit Hub, which yeah, has been they're they're very gentle, wonderful. I I got like getting a corporate overlord is very very good for our productivity. Because they'll do things like contact us and say, someone would like to give you money. And then we're like, we'll have a show tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I or remember... just be like, hey guys, what's what's going on? <laughs> we're like, oh right, it's been three weeks since we've recorded an episode. You know, Sorry. I remember exactly where I was when Ryder called me and asked me to do it. Um, yeah. oh, I was walking oh, down the awkward. street. Oh, the show. Yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah. I haven't seen Ryder physically in years, so <laughs> there's no tension. Uh, 
Um, but I was walking home from my job at the Mark Twain house and I was like, oh yeah, cool. Sure. Yeah. No, no idea how big of a commitment it would be. You were still in your 20s. For sure. I was like, okay, nine years ago. Yeah. I was 28. Oh my God. Yeah. Cool. Did you oh guys really God. even know what podcasts were back then? No. Were you guys listening? No. Yeah. No. See, I was an early, I was a very early adopter. I, Cause I, I always remember listening to podcasts back when we were um, at Bennington. So I, I remember formulating the idea back then because, you know, some of the earliest podcasts were about movies. There was a lot of like movie discussion right, right. Or, or TV show discussion podcasts. And I would listen to some of them like film spotting and, you know, stuff, some of them I think are still around. But I was just like, why isn't there one for books? And I kept looking and I kept looking and then there just wasn't one. And so that's why I was like, we should do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there were a couple like interview shows I listened to, but mostly like if I was going to listen to something um, that wasn't on the radio or on satellite radio or whatever, it'd be like the fresh air download, you know, which you could yeah. get two weeks after it was right. on the air or whatever. That's um, really Mark Marin, right? Like WTF was the one that was yeah. the first big, big yeah. success. And I think that was right right around the same time, like oh, 10 or 11 years ago that he really took off. Right here in my very neighborhood of Highland Park, Los Angeles. I wonder if he's still doing it out of his garage here. I think he is. Yeah. He is. It's like a big part of yeah. the whole identity. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, he's turned it into a full operational media studio. <laughs> so well, Yeah, well, he got picked up by public radio, which is one of right. the few times that that's happened. That um that same year, so that was 2012. I probably because we started doing this, and I felt like I had to listen to podcasts. Well, but remember also that we started actually recording in 2011. Oh, so we we, gave ourselves some lead time in case. Yeah, so we did (laughs) we did a couple run throughs, and then we actually started recording episodes in like December. Like I remembered, I was in my guest room. In like with my terrible mic, and I apologize for that. In oh like my god, the Christmas sound is so bad for the whole first like two years. The sound was so bad, <laughs> and uh, and then we launched in March. Wow. Well, anyway, that fall I trained for a marathon exclusively listening to Radio Lab, yes. um, which <laughs> remains the best podcast. Uh, you know, they're made by WNPR, so. Um, they're amazing. Or WNYC, yeah. I mean. Right. Um, and yeah, I listened to so much Radiolab. It was fantastic. Yeah. Nine, I mean, nine years <sighs> of doing anything is, is a lot. Um, but, you know, I think this is a good episode to celebrate our birthday on because this was the thing that we used to do when we didn't know what we were going to do. Which and is still is. <laughs> Makeup games. We still don't know what we're doing. We just right. keep doing it. <laughs> but we just we, do it with confidence. We used to play a game like before every episode, I think. Yeah, well, the uh, original idea, I think, was the, that we were going to try and find a structure that was very predictable, where we would yeah. read right. one thing, segments. do segments. And so like our first couple episodes are sometimes just segments, sometimes right. a combination of different segments. But then we realized that we just talk no matter what. <laughs> People just, like, no matter whether we have a book or we're just getting together to talk, and that right. that was kind of easier and what we actually, you know, would do no matter what. Because right. if we liked a book, sometimes it would be such a short discussion. It was like, well, let's, yeah. <laughs> so, the games. We have a return to the games. We have a return to the games. Where do you guys want to start? So we got three games we're playing. Um, I've, I'm doing my the newest game, which we created about five years ago. <laughs> so More on that new. later. And we and we do it once a year. I can't uh, remember. Is this the one with Rupee involved? 
that rupee used like... to, rupee used to be involved but now okay. but then when i was setting it up i couldn't remember if i had her involved all the time so i didn't use her this time good. so maybe good. maybe Let's this is a good on. time maybe this is a good time to mention we would love some pitches for yes. new games. This is yes. Julia just mentioned this before we started recording. And so it, I, I think we should all take a, a moment and actually think about some some games because we we had like old games that I forget completely, but we should try and dive in and come up with some new ones. And if any of our listeners, if you have an idea for a book-based game, whether that's a, a trivia game or a guessing game or something to just uh, you know challenge us, uh, anything where I can win. Come right. up with okay. a game that Rude. is good for Ryder to win. <laughs> um, no, we should. We, but yeah, seriously, any suggestions? Uh, yeah, yeah so, send them to us on Facebook, or you can tweet us. But I feel like Facebook or even an email would be better for you to properly explain your game. Now, I do have to say, I've spent a lot of quarantine buying and reading the instructions to overly complicated games for adults, and I don't want to have an aneurysm understanding your game. Right. Okay. This point. is a pitch. Great this point. is a pitch. Yeah, we don't want to survive the 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 plague only to die of an aneurysm from your game pitch. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so wise, Julia. Thank you very much. Um. Yeah. So you can tweet us. You can put it on Facebook. You can you can DM us. But most of our DMs, both on Twitter and on Facebook, are super creepy and weird. And so yeah. I don't check those all the time because invariably it's you guys either mad about something we've done or telling us how to do something better or you need to writer must see something immediately there's there's never a rush for any of this stuff yeah so. and just so you know guys todd's usually the one you're going to interact with so <laughs> I'm sorry. consider it i'm sorry consider yeah consider who you're speaking to when, yeah. when you contact us and also when i respond with when i respond not with my own name but by just saying the team that just means i've said something that i think everyone would be upset about yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Both you and the team. Right. <laughs> and the team. All right. Should um, we start judging a book by its cover? Yeah. Oh, yes. yes. Okay. That's a good deal. Yeah. This has nothing to do with covers. This has everything to do with reading the first paragraph or first couple sentences of a book and letting the others guess or try and surmise an era or a genre or whatever they can. And this is, it's happened a few times where we actually guessed the exact book. Um, so let's go. Okay. <clears throat> so nervous. Very excited about this. I haven't played this game in so long. You know, it's just like getting on a bicycle and falling right off. <laughs> For this one, I'm going to read the first two paragraphs because they're short. In the afterlife, you relive all of your experiences, but this time with the events reshuffled into a new order. All the moments that share a quality are grouped together. You spend two months driving the street in front of your house, seven months having sex. You sleep for 30 years without opening your eyes. For five months straight, you flip through magazines while sitting on a toilet. You take all your pain at once, all 27 intense hours of it. Bones break, cars crash, skin is cut, babies are born. Once you make it through, it's agony-free for the rest of your afterlife. Damn, I have no three, idea what that, that is. That was actually three paragraphs. Yeah. I have no idea what that is, but I want to read it. Yeah, that's that sounds really fantastic. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, a, it's a novel, presumably. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a novel. Um, could be. It could be like short stories, like Kelly yes, it Link. Could be like, yeah, it could be like a short story collection. That's a good point. Not um, Kelly Link. No, that, 
The the writing is too realist for. Color. Okay, so there's a clue here, Todd, for us, which is you sit on the toilet and you read magazines. Only you a do guy not does that. Doom scroll. Right. Okay, so we have a dating. Yeah. We have a dating issue. Yeah, so it's like 80s to 90s. Well, I mean, doom scrolling only really became a thing in the last 10 years, but sitting on Especially the toilet the reading a magazine, like magazines stopped being a thing in the like early 2000s. Okay. Oh, I should say, by the way, I just found out that I was in a magazine and I cannot find it anywhere. <laughs> because it's a physical copy of yeah. something. <laughs> I, was, I was the author of The Week in The Week magazine. And I was like, I've only ever seen that in a dentist's office. I don't, I don't know where they saw it. Anyway. All right. We're getting uh, off track. Completely unrelated. Right. Um, so I'm going to say l- late 1990s, short story collection. I think you're right. I think this was written by a man. I agree. Um, because childbirth is a minor addition to every other kind of pain, which... Oh, God. Wow. That is... Wow. That's not how I would organize my life if I was female and here writing comes, this. Here comes the patriarchy, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Nine years right. in. Any, we, so, Julia, you have any differences okay, yeah. from Todd's... All right, what'd you say? 90s, 90s short story short collection? Story. 90s short okay. story collection. I will go science fiction novel. Do you know what it is? Ted Chang, Story of Your Life. I I was gonna guess Arrival, which is Ted Chang, which story is Ch- of your life. Ted Chang too. So That's, it's the same story. It's the same story, story of your right? Life. Yeah. Is that it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. All right, then let's go back. Let's go back. I oh, choose, oh, you don't get a second chance. I choose no, novel, okay. sci-fi yeah. novel from the two thousands. Todd chooses 90s short stories. Okay. Yeah. Sort of a combo of both. It's, it is a book called Some, written by David Eagleman, and I believe it was published in 2011. Have you guys Ooh. heard about this book? No, never heard of it. I had never heard of it either. Apparently, it's actually pretty... Po- oh, sorry, 2009. 2009. So early okay. aughts was a good call. Uh, and definitely pre doom scrolling, I would say. So that was Damn. a good point. Uh, no, this book is amazing, guys. I didn't know about this until a couple of weeks ago, and um, a friend recommended it. It is a collection of short stories. Each one is a different riff on what the afterlife could be. Oh, That's so cool! I want to read it. So cool. And what's the best part about it is that no story is more than three or four pages. So it's one of these books that you can pick up. And have your mind blown by like a cool sci-fi-ish, magical realist slash fantasy slash whatever. I mean, they all they, it varies all over the place of what the afterlife looks like. And you can re, you just put it down. So I'm not even like halfway through because in like 20 minutes, I can read three or four of these stories and then just put it down and walk away and pick it back up. But every time I, I think about these variations on the afterlife for like days afterwards, it, it really lingers. So like there's the one where you get to choose what you come back as. And so, you know, the person chooses that they want to come back as a horse. And then, and I think it's in second person. So it's like, you choose to come back as this. I think they might all be in second person. But then it's like, as you start turning into a horse, you get to enjoy all the things about horseness, like your face getting longer and, and oh. how it feels to, you know, smell better and run on a field. And it's like, it's a beautiful description of being a horse. But then it like starts, you start to lose your humanness and you start to lose the oh. fact that you'll ever remember that you were human. So you realize your last thought right before you fully become a horse is that you can never choose to come back as a human because it's only 
based on what your brain is capable of choosing to come oh. back as, which then leads to the thought of what intergalactic being chose to become a human to make me isn't that brilliant that's brilliant yeah yeah, there's a lot of these great little mind bendy things and some of them I mean in general the tone is kind of a bittersweet irony like a a sadness and then there's like there's a lot of little humor too this sort of like whimsy like um uh uh what is the uh, searching for life in the universe or the um wow hitchhiker's guide to the universe Mm -hmm. like there's a little bit of that like tone in there too, you know. Uh, anyway, great book that I'm, I'm wow. going through right now. But I thought I thought maybe you guys might have heard of it because when no. I went to order it, it, it turns out it's it's actually a very popular book, and I just never heard of it. So never um, heard of it. Yeah. Anyway, it's, well, there, I have to say our deduction skills were very good, Todd. The, really not good. bad, not bad at all. You know, there's a new book actually right now by a writer named Kevin Brockmeyer. I don't know if either of you are familiar with Kevin Brockmeyer. He wrote the that. short story The Ceiling. Do you guys know that that story? Yeah, I think I read that. Um, it's about a guy whose his wife is having an affair at the same time. Um, a uh, an object appears in in the sky. Oh that yeah, begins to I read this it. in your class. Yeah, in it's your a, creative writing class. It was great, one of yours. It was so good. Oh my yeah, god, it's a that's great a great short one. story. Yeah. Um, so Kevin Brockmeyer writes a lot about the afterlife and and sort of surreal things. He's got a new book that's just out this week called The Ghost Variations, 100 Stories, and it's all short ghost stories. Ooh, uh, oh, like I'm so into that. It sounds like it might be very similar to this. It, it literally just came out this week. Um, I haven't gotten it in the mail yet. I'm a huge Kevin Brockmeyer fan. He's just a really magnificent writer. Cool. Um, so maybe something we take a look at for the show. After we take a look at a book that just came in the mail also, I don't know if you guys received your copies of Horse Girls in the mail i did i, I was did like well. what is this <laughs> of course i did <laughs> just making sure a little little gift i ordered from uh random house a new book of essays about horse girls that oh, we'll yeah. be so reading that book but if we do that we i know i want yeah. i thought we were going to read like the the horse girl like source literature we will not do like that well, we, about it. we can do both but okay. when when a definitive mm. piece of literature about the very person our dear friend Julia is comes out like, don't we have to read it? You guys have to understand real horse girls. They would be ashamed to have me in their company. You know, <laughs> I'm a former horse girl. I am not a horse woman. Right. Sadly. You're not a horse woman. You're not like Dr. Quinn over here. We will get back to the horse girl thing. I think we should read a couple of serious books and then I will choose something like Misty of Chincoteague or the Saddle Club. <laughs> the fuck is misty of what misty of chincoteague is a very famous book you better watch out or I'm gonna among pick. among I'm gonna the say. horse girls misty. all right are you ready are you yes. ready selection number two. Oh, we have two okay cool uh, yeah we, you, we always do three judging a book oh, by its cover okay have you have you heard of the show literary disco <laughs> it's nine years old <laughs> i i only got in like season six to start paying attention yeah well that's when the mics finally got okay <laughs> Under certain circumstances, there are few hours in life more agreeable than the hour dedicated to the ceremony known as afternoon tea. There are circumstances in which, whether you partake of the tea or not, some people, of course, never do, the situation is in itself delightful. Those that I have in mind in beginning to unfold this simple history offered an admirable setting to an innocent pastime. The implements of the little feast had been disposed upon the lawn of an old English country house, in what I should call 
the perfect middle of a splendid summer afternoon. Now, it's not the end of the first paragraph, because it's way too freaking long to read the British. whole first paragraph. Maybe. Uh, you don't think so? I, the, like, there's a part of me that thinks satire. Like, like a David Sedaris-level no. satire no. of English tea. Like, we're going to go into this thing, and we're going to talk about this absurd thing. Okay, let's see. Because the English don't need to explain English tea to each other. The English are already doing it. That'd be like monkeys explaining being monkeys. Okay. I'm 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 being persuaded. And and I'm an Anglophile. My grandmother, Dorothy, came from Great Britain. Where I'm basically a royal. Okay. <laughs> Grand, Can you just she, read the first line again, Ryder? <laughs> first line. Let me find it again because I put the book down. Sorry. What's the name of the book that's in? <laughs> I'm such an idiot, you almost got me. (laughs) (laughs) Under certain circumstances, there are few hours in life more agreeable than the hour dedicated to the ceremony known as afternoon tea. Okay. So it's nonfiction. Yeah, I agree. It's nonfiction. You think it's essays? I think it's essays. I think it's essays by an expatriate American. Bill Bryson? Uh, um, Bill Bryson? No, the writing's too florid for Bill Bryson. Hmm. Mm. And, you know, writers always picking, like, books by writers we've never heard of before, which complicates yeah, that's a good matters. Point. You know? It's like, I found this in the stacks at, a, <laughs> at an old bookshop in Canada when I was shooting a movie in 1994. I'm going to give you guys a couple more sentences, actually, because I feel like it's a little unfair. So uh, a couple, uh, I'll I'll start. There's people uh, at the picnic. Yeah, let me go. Those that I, this is is part I already read, but I'll just continue past it a little bit more. Those that I have in mind in beginning to unfold this simple history offered an admirable setting to an innocent pastime. The implements of the little feast had been disposed upon the lawn of an old English country house, in what I should call the perfect middle of a splendid summer afternoon. Part of the afternoon had waned, but much of it was left, and what was left was of the finest and rarest quality. Real dusk would not arrive for many hours, but the flood of summer light had begun to ebb, the air had grown mellow, the shadows were long upon the smooth, dense turf. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies all right. Okay, wait. Final, final suggest. Final. So the, the English aren't going to call the countryside the English countryside. They just call it the countryside. So it, it's not a British writer. Yeah, but Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is just Pride and Prejudice with little extra clauses that add zombies. That's not true. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it read, is. I've read the book. There's more to it. Um, <laughs> barely. Barely. Sense and Sensibility <laughs> and Sea Monsters. Um, I, I think okay, it's an American... A parody, think, American parody of a British American, something. American, an American mocking the British in, in nonfiction. All right, I got a totally mocking different take. Mocking the British in 21st century. 21st century, yes. 21st, okay. I got a totally different take, okay? Let's this is it. just a wild guess. I'm going to go with early 1900s children's literature. Ooh. That this is about kids. It's during the day, and the little 
people who have serious business or not serious business. So that sounds like kids to me. And the big, long paragraph with a lot of description, but it's really like outdoorsy. Sounds like Victorian children's literature. Ooh. That's my guess. Okay. Well, okay. You, there are aspects of both of you that are right and big aspects that are wrong. Uh, Julia, you are right in the time period. It is yes. early, early 20th century, actually late 19th century. But this is Portrait of a Lady by Henry James. Oh, Whoa, I've read that book. So you were actually <laughs> spot on, Todd, that it's mocking British. Right. And, and expatriate. And, and expatriate, that it's an American expatriate and, and, and sort of mocking and commenting on the British uh, tradition. So that was pretty wow. spot on. Wow, we're very good as a team and very bad alone. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we're like we the Avengers. Do, what we should do is try and judge a book by its cover as all three of us together, and let somebody else like send in a paragraph, and then oh. really try and dissect it because we probably would get there. Because it's we true, would. like the little the little nudges here and there were pretty spot on. I Man, was Henry impressed. James is such a great writer. Everybody should go read some Henry James. He is. You know, I don't. But what's funny is like. I've read this book, but years ago, and I was trying, like, when I picked it up, I was like, oh, this will be fun just because, of, you know, it's a different time period and a little little flowery and all the ways. I don't remember much about this book. Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember it's, a, you know, an American woman, I think, goes to England and then gets caught up in, you know, who she's going to marry and what the fortunes are going to be like. But unfortunately, now in my mind, it's all, like, muddled with Middlemarch. <laughs> yeah, like, and then Kazaban <laughs> shows up and he's like, he's, he's, like, 200 years old, but he's only 36. Well, He's got diphtheria and the fevers. Everybody in America who loved the house at the haunting of the house of Bly Manor, that's all Henry James work right. updated. So read Turn of the Screw if you like that show. And then you're gonna be like, wait, this is the exact same thing. And yeah, he's he's brilliant. He's the yeah. best. He's really the bridge between like 19th century and 20th century novel yeah. writing. So if you like modern novels, more than you like older stuff, but you kind of want to dip into the older stuff. Uh, Henry James is like the perfect compromise. And then he married uh, Marilyn Monroe. That's not true. <laughs> what are okay. you talking about? It's Arthur Miller. <laughs> get out of here. Okay. I get Arthur Miller and Henry Selection James number three. All the time. I'm very curious about, about this one, if you guys will get this one. All right. Okay. Selection number three. I've been called Bone all my life, but my name is Ruth Ann. I was named for and by my oldest aunt, Aunt Ruth. My mama didn't have much to say about it since, strictly speaking, she wasn't there. Mama and a car full of my aunts and uncles had been going out to the airport to meet one of the cousins who was on his way back from playing soldier. Aunt Alma, Aunt Ruth, and her husband Travis were squeezed into the front, and Mama was stretched out and back, sound asleep. Mama hadn't adjusted to pregnant life very happily, and by the time she was eight months gone, she had a lot of trouble sleeping. She said that when she lay on her back, it felt like I was crushing her. When she lay on her side, it felt like I was climbing up her backbone, and there was no rest on her stomach at all. Uh, I've, I've read this book. God damn it. <laughs> I, I have a feeling you have. Sounds oh, great. You picked yeah, three great books. <clears throat> what the hell is this? Part of me is like, is this bastard out of Carolina, but it's not bastard out of Carolina. Bone. Great oh, name. Oh, God. That... Th that opening line with the with I've used that opening line with the they call me bone, teaching opening lines in books. Oh, Have you this really? Is getting yeah. embarrassing. I was afraid of that. I almost <laughs> said I won't say the name because it might give it away. Oh, it's been it's been years though. Um, okay, should we do some deduction? Yes. Okay, so coming back from playing soldier, so that's probably after Vietnam or World War Two. 
Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. So this has got to be a book published in the 80s, perhaps, or 90s. This is going to make me crazy. Um, is it Bastard out of Carolina? Am I right? Is it Bastard out of Carolina? No. He's not even paying attention to you anymore. I'm waiting for all the deductions to be made. Or if that's what you guys want to say as okay. your final answer. Um, no. I have not read this, but it sounds great. So um, it's it's it takes place in the 1980s. takes place in the South. It, yeah, I w- the the author is a woman. Yeah, Mama sounds it's definitely southern, maybe rural. Um, shit, I'm gonna lose my mind. God damn it, the pressure. <laughs> this is how I lost on Rock and Roll Jeopardy. All right, so, I had the okay, answer. Let's just move forward. Right so next it's, to me. it's yes. You're saying it is southern woman, eighties, fiction, nonfiction, and fiction, fiction. And Todd, you're going to say Bastard out of Carolina? But Bastard, yeah, Bastard out of Carolina is fiction, but it's nonfiction. You are correct. Bastard right. out yeah. of Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Woo, wow, Jesus. you really let him suffer. Well, because ah. I, didn't want it, I wanted you guys to pick apart why. I didn't want it to just be like, yes, because I, obviously I, I, I messed up by having the name Bone uh, right up front. But yeah, Bastard out of Carolina. I Great loved book. this book when I read it in high school in the like mid-90s. And I had completely forgotten about it until I was up at my parents uh, recently, I guess like last November or whatever. And uh, I found a pile of my old books and this was in it. And I was so excited to pick it up and remember. Such a good book. Such a good book. And like, you don't really hear about it as much anymore. It was one of those like big hits in the 90s, but um, just a great work. So it really is like non-fictional. If it, I don't remember that as I just loved yeah, it. Yeah. So kid. so basically, Dorothy Allison fictionalized her life yeah. for Bastard of Carolina. You know, they made a movie out of it um, with uh, Jennifer Jason who, Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. Um, it was Showtime and it was a big hit. You know, I did um, I did an event with her and the writer James Houston, who's long dead, in two thousand two, two thousand three, in Salinas. Mm. And um, I spent, you know, a couple days hanging out with her, and she was just a force of fucking nature, man. <laughs> and her fans were so ardent and so emotionally attached to her yeah. and to that book. Um, and she was so kind and giving to each and every one of those people because every single person that came up to her had been abused or beaten right. or tossed Because that's really or, what it is. It's just yeah. a, a record of... Horrible yeah, family, she, horrible poverty, you know, regionalist. Like it's just yeah. evokes the space and the, the the time. It's so it's a really and it's very it's, poetic and beautiful without being like. Um, and she was so kind to every single person that came up and talked to her. I just oh, remember cool. it was a real lesson. I mean, I was just a kid. You know, I was like, I was thirty or something, and she was just the kindest, most giving, most vulnerable and empathetic person to each and every fan that came up sobbing to her yeah. to talk uh-huh. about Bastard Carolina. Yeah. This might have been, it might have been like 2001. It was a long time it. ago. I want to reread it. All right, wow, so well, should we move books. on to uh, a... Let's do Todd's thing. Todd's thing. Okay, so my game, as I remember it... <laughs> or as you've invented it today. <laughs> ...is called Rock, Paper, Scissors. Okay. And what it involves, as I remember it, but then speaking to you guys just now has made me realize that maybe I forgot a key part of it, which is that... One part of it has to be a rupee poem. I don't know. I didn't might do have that. Been a different version of the same <laughs> And game. we can move on from that. Okay. So in this game, 
I take a poem, a song, a popular song, and then I write something. And then you have to tell me which one is the poem, which one is the song, which one is a popular song, and which one is made up. Why are there four and which one is scissors? Well, what I remember was rock. <laughs> Wait, hold rock on. There's was a, a popular song. Wait, say, give me these categories. Again. So, so hold on. So I'll explain it through the, the rubric of the title. Mm-hmm. So rock, rock song. Gotcha. We got that. Which is paper. A Springsteen song. Okay. Uh, paper. Paper. Or Jason is poem. Both. Poem. Okay. Paper, poem. Scissors, combination of the two. Meaning so, you're going to take a part of a song and a part no, of... No, what I'm saying is like... It's either oh, it's or. something poetic that's then become something larger in the culture. They've been what? scissored together. And then I think I use... And then I make something up. I remember we did it once with the Jim Morrison song. Yes. <laughs> okay, this is... It doesn't make any sense, so let's just do it. So it's called Rock, Paper, Scissors. Rock, Paper, Scissors, Todd. So the category. There you are, go, that's good. Rock, Paper, Scissors, Todd. And, and it's themed this time. I've got a theme. Okay. Uh, the categories do. are poem, song, popular song, thing Todd made up. And in all cases, you are adding mother. Oh, right. Yeah. No, that's an old no? poetry game. <laughs> that's a game. different game. Oh, okay. No, yeah. I'm not adding mother. Okay. So today's <laughs> theme is, uh, is Americana is okay. the theme. Okay. Let me pull up my document here. I hope we start with unpopular song, whatever that is. Wow. All right. Absurd. So we've got four things here. Um, Are you guys ready? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a Friday night. We circled up. It's going down around these pickup trucks. Yeah, it's cold cans and Dixie cups. Just out here doing what we've always done. Long live all the small towners, sun up to sundowners, the old school, Haggard, Hank. Long live long neck bottles, wide open throttles. I know this. And old dirt roads with no name. Long live country girls, long legs and cut up jeans. Long live this way of life. Long live nights like these. Long live. Long live. Okay. Long live. This is popular song. This is clearly popular. Hold on. I'm not not done yet. Long live the Walmart parking lot. Hmm. Turning to the midnight party spot. Long live hard work when it pays off. And living it up on your days off. Long live all the small towners. Sun up to sundowners. I mean, all right. That's number one. That's number one. That's don't a song. Make, that's like don't make clearly a country popular. song or a country pop song. Yeah. Okay. Right, here we go. Next up, sand dabs on the grill. Cindy walks up and says it's true. The cars line up on the old wrinkled street like dead soldiers. Come on home, she says. You don't have to be blue alone. And then it's us, salt wind and pavement. Until next fall. Until the next fall. Until we fall. Let's go for a ride. End up at the fill station. Pick up Tommy too. Because he's been lost all year. You knew. 
Until next fall, until the next fall, until we fall, it will be us three. This old truck, this old life we didn't choose, this full tank of blues. I like those lyrics. Or poem lines in a poem. Or Todd. Or Todd. Todd mashup. Next up, you guys ready? Yeah. I want to argue for the stars, but I find them missing through this window splattered with mud. Tonight, I sit shoddy and do not ask Chris if he's okay. This is the kind of loyalty I know. How the Mustang makes eights across a soccer field. I run my hand over pennies, Pepsi to the center console. That photo of his ex still blocks the speedometer, and the next few years of his life have already begun to carve a cave. I pluck pennies into my palm. It doesn't take long enough for this story to burn through a field. The safety belt shocks my collar. Chris turns and aims for a gate without easing off the gas. I yell, fuck it, to whatever I can't hear him say. And isn't that why I'm here? To watch chain links swell in his headlights. To say, you're crazy, instead of, I'm scared. I disappear the pennies with my fist. You're losing your Americana voice. You're lo- you, yeah. gotta, you gotta keep that. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's poem or Todd. All right, all right, last one. <clears throat> last night. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, now you should have told me. Sorry. Told yeah, me I don't like it. it. But it was so. But it so clearly changes our perception of it. All right. <laughs> well, let me let me let me use the same voice then. Last night I dreamed that I'd been drinking. Same dream I have about. Twice a week. I had one glass of wine. I woke up feeling fine. And that's how I knew it was a dream. Last night, I dreamed that I'd been drinking. Cold burn of whiskey down my throat. My hand turned into a rattlesnake and laughed myself awake. And that's how I knew it was a joke. It gets easier, but it never gets easy. I can say it's all worth it but you won't believe. Hold down your liquor or swallow your pride. You'd rather keep it inside. It gets easier, but it never gets easy. Last night, I did myself a favor. I called in sick and went downtown. Drove past the local bar. A cop behind my car. I wish he'd pull me over now. Last night, I let myself remember Times I forgot a woman's name. I blacked out behind the wheel. How tight the handcuffs feel. All right. All right. Number four is the other song. Yeah. I would say that's like a... Agreed. A good song. Probably like a Jason Isbell or Bruce Springsteen song. <laughs> it's a good right. song. Okay. Good lyrics. Good song. I love the image of the hand turning into a rattlesnake. And I and I would say Isbell just because there's clearly some alcohol issues going into it. Lots <laughs> of drinking. Todd has no other interests other than <laughs> Jason Isbell. <laughs> so, you? I'm a renaissance fucking man. So it's definitely... No. It's a sober, a sober songwriter who may or may not be Jason Isbell. Number the one before that, 
I will say that's the that's the poem. I think that's Todd because it was it was very poetic, but it was also very narrative. And uh, mm. there was a I don't know I, I, that felt like Todd. I think the poem was the sand dabs on the grill. Uh, I don't know maybe. This- I think the second one was which Todd. one's the okay. which one's the popular song? The first one. The first one, one. obviously. <laughs> Sundowners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah ridiculous. <laughs> has like a rhyme every every two lines. Yes, yeah, like, like. <laughs> All right. So I think the second one's definitely Todd because one of the last lines was like me and this old truck, which is Todd trying to be. <laughs> okay, so you say you two know. is Todd and I say three is Todd, but otherwise yeah. we're in agreement. Okay, Todd. Who knows you better? As usual, I'm an open book for the whole world to read. <laughs> Julia knows me a little bit yeah, She threw yes. in the truck. So here's what we got here. <laughs> so the first one, yeah, it's Friday night. We okay, enough, enough. We, don't, enough. we got it, Just we got it. Say Just what say what it, what it is. That's Long Live by Florida Georgia Line off their new record, been out a couple months it currently has 23 million plays on spotify yeah the second which i'm calling summer drinks (laughs) is the todd goldberg masterpiece that's the Todd Goldberg masterpiece i don't know if you can grill sand dabs i don't know if i've ever had a sand dab before so also it takes lines from from whatever song i was listening to uh, Up the Wrinkled Street by Stu Boss. That was yeah, playing. that was a nice line. It was a nice line. That you didn't write, yeah. I, I didn't write it. Greg Sarfati of Stu Boss wrote it. Oh, so this is The Scissors. Now I yes, understand. Yes, The Scissors. Yes. It comes from... I Wait a minute. I thought Scissors was supposed to be... A, uh, I'm, I'm only remembering now what Scissors is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a mashup of Todd plus other songs. Right. Uh, right, right. Well, that would have been good to know. All right. So um, what, what's the third one? Yeah, the that third was a great one poem. is a remarkable poem by a poet named Michael Torres, who, in fact, I'm interviewing tonight at UCR Palm Desert okay. online. Um, it is a poem called Doing Donuts in an 87 Mustang 5.0 After My Homie Chris Gets Broken Up With. Is his, that is was a, really good. Yeah, is his stuff like always that narrative? A, a lot of it is. So he's cool. a very narrative poet. He's uh, he's from the Inland Empire. Um He's a fantastic poet. He got an NEA uh, this year. He's cool. really sort of blowing up. Um, and uh, the reason I... T-O-R-R-E-S? T-O-R-R-E-S. He has a new book called An Incomplete List of Names. Um, and I know Michael because uh, when I taught undergrads for one year at UCR, he was my student. Cool. Um, and he is just an absolutely fantastic poet that is just blowing up. And this this poem is everything that kids who don't like poetry should hear right um because it's an amazing poem um you know that the last lines and isn't that why i'm here to watch chain links swell in his headlights Mm -hmm. to say you're crazy instead of i'm scared Mm -hmm. oh it's about the vulnerability of young men who can't be vulnerable to each other so instead they try to Threaten each other's lives. Yeah. Oh, such a great... He's a fantastic poet. The book is absolutely fantastic. I just love him to death. So, folks, Michael Torres, An Incomplete List of Names. His book is out now. Um, 
And then you fucking assholes. Uh, that song is yes. It Gets Easier by Jason Isbell and the 400 <laughs> Unit. <laughs> Off his new record, Reunions. Surprise! Well, surprise. you really showed us. <laughs> but so what I was thinking was I want to have things that all sort of mention like Americana, totally. cars, no. and drinking, and, yeah. and all these things, and the different ways that it can be done. And that Florida Georgia Line song might be the worst song I've ever heard. Really? I can't wait to go life. listen to it. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, our, our lovely producer, Justin, if you want to cut in a little Florida Georgia Line here, don't. Don't. Don't Please do it. Don't. Really? <laughs> I mean, I, I just, it just sounded like that's just wannabe anthematic. Like, it, it sounded like a country song, like a really, like, the, the, well. the, the really horrible line in this, long live the Walmart parking lot turning to the midnight party spot. Yeah, like these fools are hanging out in the Walmart parking lot. Give me a fucking break. Well... We've all partied in a parking lot at night. I have yeah. no judgment to that lie. I mean, I've partied in plenty of parking lots. But it's... Are you more of like a Petco midnight party? <laughs> more of a, yeah, more of a PetSmart, Petco, Sam's Club. You know, it just sounds pandering to me. It sounds like, it like yeah. here's the list of all those things that other Americans will be like pumping their fists to and like just keep the list. I don't know. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Long live small towners. Old school Hank and Haggard. Like, yeah, Haggard and Hank were drinking in the... Walmart parking lot, my fucking ass. All right. Are you guys ready for our next game? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, we always do too many, and we're going to continue that. Uh, this is this is our final one. This okay. is Bookshelf Roulette. Hopefully, Todd has successfully collected some numbers. Oh, let me uh, let me pull that up here. Uh, what we're going to do as a review is we're all going to run to our bookshelves and find a book based on a complex algorithm we've designed over the years. Wow, uh, we've we've received so many responses to this. Let's Okay. Let's... So, what's the number 1 through 4? All right. So, we All did right. number 1 through 4 and that's the corner of the bookshelf we're going to start with. One is upper left and yep. then it goes clockwise. Okay. All right, let me let me pick someone who's got an interesting Twitter name. Um Shall we go Laura the Book Dragon? Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Laura the Book Dragon says 3 4 and 22. So, right, we're going so to we're... our Third bookshelf. Third corner. And we're going to go third corner, so that's bottom, bottom right. Bottom right. Then we go and up then we're four count. shelves. Yep. And then we go to the left, how many? 22. Perfect. Okay. Break. Ready, set, go. All right. Justin, you can edit this part out. Hopefully, Justin, if if, uh, if you're listening, or if you just gave just, up twenty minutes just, ago, Justin, if you're, if you're Justin, listening, if you're listening, you could fill this with the Sundowners song. <laughs> just very. Justin, quiet. if you're listening, when I got up, if I made any weird noises with my body, that was the chair. <laughs> We're still waiting for Julia. Here she comes. I can hear her. 
Look, he's got a very fancy chair. Look at that. Neck brace on it. All kinds of shit. I'm very excited about this book. We've actually talked about it before. Very soft. Have you read this, writer? No. That's It's all poems, or is it essays, too? No, it's all poems. Yeah, I guess I have not Why didn't I? Why don't I have a copy of that? <laughs> I'm back. We read that. We read that one poem on, on the show, and then right. I cried. And we're back. I am so excited about where I landed. Um, it's actually pretty perfect. Um, All right. And I think I, it's a little it. bit loaded because I have two copies of this book next to each other, so it's oh. a little increase. But wow. I landed on a Coney Island of the Mind poems by Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who just uh, died. Just died like two yeah. weeks ago, and. Um, this book, I mean, this one of these copies I got when I was 14, 15, and it just blew my mind. It was like one of the first beat poets I read. He is so accessible, so fun to read, um, and yeah, like was a huge influence on my life. Uh, the, the, the poem, uh, I Am Waiting, is uh, one of my favorites, uh, which is in this one, right? Isn't that in this one? No, Coney Island of the Mind, Oral Messages. Poems from Pictures of the World. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, if people don't know who Lawrence Ferlinghetti was, he was a, a great poet in his own right, but mostly he was a bookseller. He created City Lights in San Francisco and a book publisher, and he was responsible for bringing a lot of the East Coast um, uh, literary uh, dudes, mostly men, let's be honest, uh, West. He brought a lot of these the innovative uh, poets and fiction writers uh, he brought them to San Francisco in the 40s, uh, 50s, 40s, 50s, 50s, All... 40s, 50s. And uh, amazingly, he lived until just a couple weeks ago. He, he's one of the last of the beats, probably the last. I don't I'm not I haven't been keeping up with the beat generation lately, but uh, I guess Gary Snyder's still around. But he was pretty old. I think he was well over a hundred, and um, he was. I think he was exactly a hundred. Oh, okay, something like that. Okay, yeah. exactly a hundred. Anyway, so when I was, uh, you know, when I was a kid going to San Francisco, and uh, it was like a pilgrimage to the city lights every time I went to San Francisco as a kid and um, as a teenager. And when, once I could drive myself, I would always drive to city lights and just always find great books and it's still around it's still a great bookstore i think they still publish stuff but he was responsible for publishing alan ginsburg's howl in a pocket poem series that he created where he would take famous poets and new poets and 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 publish them in a book small enough to fit in a jeans back pocket that was his hmm. whole idea and it like it worked you know it created um a, a literary culture that was about accessibility and readability and uh you know he was just a game changer in the in the world of literature and and then like i said helped bring um you know literature west because i feel like this is still a struggle, right, Todd? <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that there is such an East Coast emphasis on uh, American literature that we, you know, he was one of the first people to really bring the culture of readings and uh, and book culture to the West Coast. And you know, I think that's still an ongoing struggle because all the publishing yes. houses are still back east. Anyway, for the most part, I mean, there's very few City Lights, which is the one that he founded, yeah. and it is tied to his bookstore as a a great publisher of fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Mm -hmm. City Lights, the bookstore, is still in existence, as writers said. The cool thing, though, back in the day, is Ferlinghetti was always there. Yeah. And so You just walk in and see him. Yeah. You just walk in and see him, and there's, like, living history. So uh, my my enduring memory of Ferlinghetti is taking Bart into the city from Walnut Creek, where I had grown up. I was probably 12 or 13, 
and we'd go to City Lights because even then I was a dork and like books. But I, so City Lights is uh, three stories, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a room up top that has, uh, it's a little room and it has fiction in it. But it's just like, it's a bedroom, the size of the room. And I was up there and there's hardwood floors and I had a waxy cup of Coke and I dropped it and spilled it on the floor. And Lawrence Ferlinghetti came in and screamed at me. Oh no. Just screamed at me. And I was like, oh my God. Ferlinghetti is screaming at Did me. Did they have a no drinks policy? Uh, what were you Of thinking? course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and it was, so I don't know if they still make these kinds of cups anymore, but like in 1984, there was a kind of cup where you would get a Coke in with a tiny little ice. And the cup was basically held together only by wax. <laughs> and I so, know what you're talking about. Yeah. As, they make those. And your hand would get sweatier and sweatier and sweatier and the cup would just start to degrade. And then you'd, you'd be holding it and it would just squeeze into the middle and <laughs> Coke would be everywhere. Right. And that's what happened when wow. Ferlin Getty yelled at me. And so for years, I was scared to go back in. Like Ferlin Getty would remember, would remember. the guy who spilled the Coke. Get off my lawn. <laughs> How dare you ruin my floors uh, where Ginsburg had sex with someone. all right who's next i'll go i made a really bold choice i went to vegas bookshelf um we just have like a mountain of books now so might as well bring them up on the show um and i hit on one that's really fun Ryder. i hope you know this one do is talk have you heard of this favorite are you sure yes. I didn't send it to you? Did I send it to you? No, oh, okay. you didn't. Right. Um, you sent me a bunch of recommendations and you sent me a book, but uh, it was talk not is this. still one of Indy's favorites. At six, we still read Do His Talk together. I love it so yeah, much. Yeah, so if you don't have a kid or even if you have older kids, because this didn't come out till 2016, you got it. It is worth going to a bookstore, yes. finding this book, and just standing there and reading it. Yes. Um, this is a book about little bugs uh, who talk in a made-up language that becomes mm. extremely clear as the story goes on. Um, and that's the appeal of the book. It yeah. has amazing illustrations by Carson Ellis, who also wrote it. Um, but the first line is, do is talk, which very quickly becomes clear. It means, what is that? And all these little bugs observe things. And then as they observe them, you or hopefully your kid, fills in the blank. <laughs> what is being hopefully said. your kid. What, what they're talking right. well, about. Well, the, the thing the thing where it's always the same picture, basically. You're in the same place. Yes, yes. So each page turn is a beautiful rendering of the exact same frame over and over again as mm. it goes through time. And it's essentially the story of this full, this seed sprouting and you see like a little green sprout and that's what they're, the first couple bugs are like, do is talk. And the bugs have this like really ornate decorative look to them so they're all recognizable as like ants or beetles or ladybugs but they also have this like flair to them that kind of makes them look like victorian ladies and gentlemen and there's a really cool artistic style yeah and it's just it shows the life cycle or the seasonal cycle of uh this like one scene in the woods it's so beautiful yeah it's beautiful and the language is really weird so on what is one of the climaxes, a flower blooms, because it's a children's book. That's a climax. Um, and it's just all over the page. Unk Gladenboot. Is Unk Gladenboot. Is Unk Gladenboot. Uh, and it's so, yeah. it's just so neat. It's... And it's so beautiful to see all these hold, hold insects so reacting. Can see the, the picture? You want to see a picture? Yeah. Of the Gladenboot? This, this is great radio, by the way. Yeah. Or whatever this is. So this is. is an artist named Carson Ellis. Um, the, uh, the first uh, time I heard of, 
a, of her a friend oh, yeah. a friend gave me she's a portland artist i think she's huh. married to one of the decemberists um oh, so oh, they cool. did a book together because he wrote a, a kid's fiction book and she illustrated it called wildwood which is too too big for indie right now but i think we'll probably get into it it's like a a gothic fantasy story set in portland woods and then she, she has another children's book called Home, which is wonderful, Julia. It's just illustrations of different types of homes that people can have. Cool. And it goes, you know, to homes on the moon, homes on other planet, homes that animals can have. It takes the gam- it runs the gamut, but the and then it ends with her home and has like a picture or a drawing of herself, like a self-portrait of what her home looks. It's so cool. Um, she's amazing. I'm, I'm like a huge fan. Yeah, that book, like I said, Indy still reads it. We still talk about it. I love kids' books where... It, with illustrations that you can keep finding new things in it, you know, like every mm-hmm. time you read it. Cause so like Indy and I have traced like what happens in that book so many times. He's noticed like the one little roly poly's pipe left on the table. And then there's like a stick bug that only comes alive for like one frame. But then the rest of the time he's like, just looks like a normal stick. There's all these little details. <laughs> They're so fun to discover and rediscover. Yeah. yeah children's books are, the books that you read the most times. Yeah. You know, right. that's that's a completely different art form. It's more like writing a song. It's true. You know, if you've listened, if you read this freaking book 800 times, it better be good. Yeah. Number 715. <laughs> All right, Todd, where'd you so, land? So I landed on uh, a book that was not filed in the right place. Um, so I landed on Father's Day by Matthew Zapruder, which is a book of fantastic poetry. Um, and it's in the wrong place because obviously his last name is Zapruder, so he should not be in the numbers where that we have called out. <laughs> um, he should be at the bottom of the thing. But I keep this book out because I read it all the time. And so it was shoved onto the shelf that I was uh, counting on. Um, so those of you who have listened to the show for nine long years um, know that I am a big fan of Matthew Zapruder. Yep. Um, he wrote a poem that caused, uh, Julia was not on the show one week. And so Ryder and I decided to have a men's encounter weekend mm-hmm. and we read, <laughs> got in touch with our feelings. And yeah, so happy we, not to be part of a man's encounter. <laughs> and was great. We, we read, uh, a poem of Matthew's that was in the New Yorker that week that is actually in this book. Um, and then sobbed our eyes out. Mm-hmm. Um, but Matthew is, um, is is uh, just a very very very. And then we read him mine. on the show. Didn't the the poem during the pandemic? Early on in the pandemic, he had written mm-hmm. a poem that yeah. that we read. Yeah, that was his too, yeah. right? Yeah. So he's a very close friend of mine. So I'm a big I'm a big fan of him as a human being, but I, I'm also just a huge fan of his poetry. And I can I can tell you the last poem of his that I read. If you guys would like me to read it, I can do that. Sure. It's a poem called Graduation Day. Drawn by ceremonial obligation, up from sleep I woke and stepped into the borrowed black robes, all ghost bureaucrats trained to redirect dreaming, pretend we do not like to wear. I drove my black car to the stadium to sit on stage and be watched, watching young expectant spirits, one by one, with dread certainty, pass before me, clouded in their names. Then listen to no one in their speeches say, you're welcoming, you're welcome for allowing us not to tell you it's already too late to turn to learn anything or defend whatever accidental instrument in us causes all these useless thoughts. Like 
if you walked for hours through the vast black avenues of those server farms, all of us, with our endless attention built, you could almost feel the same peaceful disinterest as when your parents, talking and smoking, raised their heads for a moment to smile and tell you, go back upstairs and read the book you love about myths that explain weather and death. Now it is almost June, and they are finally the children they always were, so more precise than anyone has ever to be. Go forget everything we told you so you can fix what we kept destroying by calling the future. And that's Graduation Day by Matthew Zapruder. Fucking that's awesome. Great. Yeah, I, I'm surprised I don't have a copy of that book. I just realized I You didn't, need so a copy of this book. I am getting one. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I also, and, I've already probably mentioned this, but he has an incredible um, essay on Whitman that was in Harper's he Magazine where he talks about the fact that Whitman was, you know, a racist, uh, which is, you know, he, he had, the whole opening of his, him just realizing that, that was a discovery because he assumed based on reading Whitman's poem that he would be way more inclusive, but he wasn't. And it's true. And so he sort of analyzes that and how, how to feel about Whitman. It's really, really good. Yeah. So the, the poem that we read um, on the show, it's, it's a heartbreaker. Um, what's it, is it called My Life? Is that the one? Where is it? Uh, well, it's in here. Don't worry. It's in here. <laughs> and you can read it for you yourselves. You too can read it and cry. <laughs> yeah, you Get together with your male friends and cry. There, there's another fantastic... There's a ton of pan, fantastic poems in here. Um, but there's one called Generation X that uh, I really like. I was born the autumn after a wave of flowers swept the land. Too late to, to appear in even one poem by Frank O'Hara. <laughs> Awesome. It is. It's really good. All right, guys. Well, oh. our, our games episode ran super long. Can you well, believe it? We can remember that we could just do one game. Yeah, we should. <laughs> Got nah. nah. But why not each of us do a game that requires three parts? <laughs> or four parts. <laughs> that's on you, man. Because uh, you can't do. not put Jason Isbell in. I don't. That's, that's the true. first time I've ever used him in this game. I don't okay. think that is not true. true. I think Jason it's Isbell, totally true. Uh, I said, if you, if, I th can we roll the tape back? I believe I said, <laughs> okay, and then as part of description of the game, then Todd puts in a Springsteen or a Springsteen poem, a lyric or a Jason Isbell lyric. And well, that is a, but I've never done it before. Last time I quoted fucking Jim Morrison, for God's sake. Okay, well, people, this is nine years. This is what it looks yes. like. Yes. Yeah. This is how it falls apart. One out of four times that we sign on to Zoom to do an episode with Todd, he is wearing a Jason Isbell shirt. That's, so that, that is true. And <laughs> <laughs> that that's not a lie. <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye.